Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, associate producer and Starista's creative copy manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ chat with Mark Friedman, president and founder of Details Interactive and host of the Marketing Playbook podcast. He details his experience working with brands like Brooks Brothers and Steve Madden and gives his take on breaking up the silos that persist in large organizations. AJ is optimistic about the quarter ahead and Vincent offers to run through a wall. Give it a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's the Marketing Stir. I'm Vincent Petrofessor with Starista. With me, as always, ladies and gentlemen, is my co-host, my commander-in-chief. I often say I would run through a wall for this guy, a thin wall, nothing that's going to really hurt me, but I would still do it. Ladies and gentlemen, my co-host, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. I am, uh, I, I'll try to make the wall as soft as possible, wrestling style. Thank you. Thank you. You know, but it's still, I mean, who, how many people say they'd run through a wall for you? That's pretty cool. Uh, I got, I got a lot of supporters and followers. Oh, you know what then? Yeah, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess I take that back then. Uh, <laughs> but I you know what? You, you can be my number one fan. So thank you. Thank you. I know. Speaking of fans, I, I love this podcast we, we're doing here. Uh, we're getting more and more fans that are reaching out and with kind words and also allowing us to kind of make changes. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you'll notice a few uh, episodes ago, we changed our intro music. Uh, we used to have like this soft elevator chat that kind of mimicked a barroom chat, which is kind of what we're going for. You and I have talked in many a bar before, uh, but then someone said, hey, why don't you kick that music up a little bit, match that crazy personality, especially by the lunatic who kicks this thing off in me. So I was like, great, let's do it. And our producers put some uh, great music, almost uh, almost kind of uh, electric dance music, a little EDM-ish, I think, as one would describe it. Or maybe I'm just dating myself uh, that I really don't even know what that type of music is. But enough about that. AJ, as we have... We've been bringing some amazing content to people. We have another great one, multifaceted guest. I, I can't wait to talk to him about his experiences. You know, he was a CMO, chief digital officer. He's worked at companies like, and these are, you know, a lot of these are household names, Brooks Brothers, Steve Madden, amongst others. Currently, our guest is the president of Details Interactive. He's the host of the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Give that a listen, available where you consume your podcasts, the same areas you consume this podcast. Give it a listen. It's an excellent podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a marketing stir welcome to Mr. Mark Friedman. What's going on, Mark? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, thanks for having me today. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. We are uh, you know, so excited to talk to you. We ha haven't met before, Mark, and you were uh, referred to us as one of our uh, you know, employees here, one of our colleagues that we, we love and trust, Matthew Kenyon. He says, you have got to talk to this guy. I've known him for years. He's uh, you know, 
very interesting. He's done uh, so much in our space and we got to talk and you and I, and I'm like, yes, he needs to be here. So thank you, Mark. Uh, we, we're happy to have you. So Mark, we always like to kick off this podcast by kind of saying like, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Talk to me about Details Interactive. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So, you know, Details Interactive is a consulting practice. Uh, it's a one-man band. Um, I've really spent most of my career working in, uh, in, in brands and companies like the ones that you've mentioned. Uh, I got my start uh, early on in a catalog, a startup catalog business, and moved up the food chain within marketing. Um, at Brooks Brothers and, and Steve Madden and, and a number of other multi-title catalog and internet businesses. So you know, most of the career has been direct to consumer, catalog, internet, you know, digital, and, and some physical retail. Um, I don't fashion myself necessarily as a, a typical consultant. You know, I don't come out of one of the big consulting firms. But you know, each time I, that I have made a, a change in in my uh, in my my role, um, you know, that first hundred days, you know, you're acting like a consultant anyway, you're listening a lot, you're, you know, taking it all in and you, know, you kind of see the things that you feel like need to be changed. And in time, you try to make that change. And, and that's the kind of service that I try to provide with Details Interactive. Um, although I have always tried to be uh, this combination of both detail oriented and, and kind of in the weeds, but also to be strategic and, and helping businesses move forward. Uh, years ago, one of my friends said to me, geez, you know, with you, the devil is really in the details. So when I w wanted to start my consulting practice, we used details as part of the name. And, and um, so that's kind of what it is today, you know, helping brands uh, either drive traffic to their uh, direct-to-consumer uh, e-commerce sites, how to optimize that traffic. Um, and then also, you know, we can talk about, you know, how I got into marketing, but you know, I have a strong financial acumen and that's really the, the, where the rubber meets the road. Marketing today is very much performance and analytics based. And, and I feel like I bring a lot to the table in that area. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, you know, uh, I wanted to ask sort of your consulting approach it, it's, you know, it seems very different from others, I think, because you have the marketing back, you know, obviously the marketing background, but a finance background. Is that what you think sets you apart and makes you unique? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I think there's a lot of people that have a, a, you know, a strong financial background. It's a little unusual to have been a CPA starting your career and then, you know, moving into marketing and, and, and staying that way. But, you know, when you are a, a finance person, you know, you learn a business. I, I believe that you learn a business a lot of different ways, but one way is understanding the P&L. Uh, you you get to see what's driving the revenue, where the expenses are, are going, where you're leaking profits. So having that mindset early on then allowed me to you know understand from a, a performance marketing perspective. And, and performance marketing was cataloged years ago and and then morphed into digital. But you know now you've got tons of businesses that have all three legs in the stool. You know they have you know they have direct mail, they have digital, they have physical stores, they have uh, the fourth stool being social, I guess, and then you can add in marketplaces. So, you know, it's it's just there's a lot going on and so much of it is around analytics. You know, for sure, you've got to have great product and you have to have great creative and branding, but it really is around um, the metrics to help you know where to spend money, et cetera. And I want to explore something you said there because we're always fascinated by you know, pe people's backgrounds and what gets you to where you are today. So talk to me about, 
okay, you're, you're a CPA and what makes that decision to kind of pivot into, uh, you know, marketing aspect? Well, I w really was not all that enamored with being a, an auditor, you know, and it's uh, CPAs, um, you know, you could be a tax person, you could be a bookkeeper, you know, eventually, and then a controller. Um, in my case, I started out in audit. And, you know, in the early 80s, when you were an auditor, um, you know, you sat there with big sheets of green paper and red pencils, and you basically were validating whether there were controls in place. Um, it wasn't very exciting. It, there was a lot less numbers than I had thought I'd be involved in. Um, one of my clients was a company called Popular Club Plan. And at the time, they had started a, a business that I'm sure you and, and our listeners know. They started a business called J. Crew. Uh, it started from nothing. It was a catalog business uh, that started in 1980. So they were my client on the finance, you know, on the auditing side. I met some of the people there, and ultimately, uh, the original founder of J. Crew for that parent company, Popular Club, went off and started their own catalog business. Uh, it was called Tweeds. It was one of the first venture-backed uh, catalog businesses. This was in 1986. And they were looking for somebody to come in and be jack of all trades, controller, uh, benefits person, you know, just about anything. There were only four employees. Uh, they plucked me out of uh, um, anonymity uh, in uh, working for one of the big eight accounting firms in those days. And uh, I never looked back. So, Mark, I noticed you started your own podcast earlier this year as well. Uh, what what made you start your podcast? You know, honestly, I really have started it more as a hobby. Um, when I was at Steve Madden, there was a, a fellow uh, who was our uh, who was a partner of mine. He was our head of technology, and we we couldn't have looked different. He's a six foot six African American guy. You know, uh, big big personality, big frame, and you know, I'm. I'm a, you know, a five, nine, 150 pound, you know, uh, a Caucasian guy, but we did a bunch of speaking together and we both were, you know, I, I think we, we pushed off of one another. Well, we both had a little bit of a sense of humor, you know, not laugh out loud, but we could be clever. And, um, we had talked about doing a podcast together and it never materialized because of schedule. Um, and then, uh, back in, you know, I guess right after the first of this year, um, I said, you know, I'm going to try this alone. And um, so that's when I started it. Um, we tried to find, as you guys um, are, are, are doing now, try to find a theme, a positioning, you know, if you will. And in my case, it's about marketing. Um, it's a combination of, you know, talking to people that are early stage, people that are, you know, more advanced in their career. But most importantly, the promise to the listener is to give them, you know, three or four takeaways that they can bring back to their own business or to their personal life that will help them. So at the end of the show, we summarize, you know, my my three takeaways. That's great. Uh, I've told our viewers before one of the good things that came out of Corona was uh, Vincent and I finally had the uh, time to actually uh, start the podcast. So that part has been great about this uh, situation of staying at home all the time. Uh, so I saw, you know, you obviously worked at uh, some pretty large brands that uh, people are familiar with, including Brooks Brothers. What do you think the future of retail looks like uh, coming out of this? Yeah, well, it's it's already uh, started to take shape, unfortunately. You know, I think pre-COVID, you know, we would all say that uh, physical retail was was continuing to change and evolve. We were seeing lots of retailers 
closed stores, uh, even the ones that were not filing Chapter 11, uh, with the push uh, even more aggressively to digital. Um, now what we're seeing is um, that that reimagination that needed to happen in retail is being forced upon us even faster. You know, you you hear lots of stories about you know people saying that you know we've we've become uh, we, we've accelerated uh, change you know ten years uh, down to three years or five years. I mean, the the real point being that you know things that were on our roadmap that we thought we could wait you know for down the road. In in fact, perhaps we we can't. Um, so I you know I think the future of retail will be smaller stores, fewer stores, more digital. Um, you know, uh, the, the many major malls in, in our country are losing anchor stores. They're even pre-COVID, you know, trying to find ways to uh, figure out how to use that space, um, making those centers, in some cases, distribution hubs for Internet uh, digital businesses, uh, making those spaces more uh, about entertainment beyond just uh, shopping. Um, so, you know, I, I think that we are resilient. Um, we will find, you know, a, a way out of this, uh, but it's definitely going to be um, a lot different. And and the investment, uh, you know, that people were putting off in their digital, um, and oftentimes it's not even in their their actual digital customer facing, you know, kind of experience. It's the operations and the logistics um, that really, really need to be stepped up. You do see a future for a brand like Brooks Brothers to come out of bankruptcy in a restructured, smaller store environment. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that um, you know, there's at the time we're recording this, you know, I, I think there's a stalking horse bidder out there, um, you know, for uh, Brooks Brothers, you know, a company that you know is interested in. Uh, I guess it's a, a number of companies partnering together. Um, to, to try and uh, sustain uh, the brand, um, it'll probably have a smaller footprint. Um, but like anything else, it's really around the product and and the the customer service that's made available. You know, when I was at Brooks Brothers, um, this was two uh, thousands. They were kind of late to the game. Um, this whole casualization of America. They were still trying to force, um, you know, two and three piece uh, suits and and uh, dress shirts and ties, you know, down a public's throat that really were moving away from that. And because of prior ownership and a lot of other things, um, you know, they didn't have the investment capabilities to really retool uh, for the future from a, uh, a product uh, perspective. And so the casualization, you know, they took some quality out. I think it, you know, really hurt the brand for a while. Then it was sold in, you know, in early, uh, right around uh, 9-11, actually, and uh, private ownership, you know, took it over. And their goal was to restore the, the legacy. And, um, you know, they, they had growth both uh, domestically and internationally. They added quality back into the brand. And, um, you know, they were certainly struggling with all other retailers. But, you know, COVID was just something that they couldn't uh, get through. Mark, staying on Brooks Brothers, you know, you mentioned 2000, right? The year you were the chief marketing officer there. And I know they were kind of, you know, dipping the toe into digital. How, how did you start in digital? And, and what was it like back then for Brooks Brothers? So by the time I got there, they had already had a nascent uh, website uh, created um, just to paint the picture. You know, there were roughly 150 stores, a mix of full price and factory outlet. They still had a strong catalog business, which is one of the reasons that I went there. 
um, and then they had this small web business. Um, and we had a, a CEO, um, very, very bright guy. And, you know, his, his whole mantra to me was, look, we need to have a digital presence, but I'm not interested in spending dollars on bells and whistles. I want the site to function. I want to take an order and I want to be able to ship product out to a customer. And he was a little bit different than a lot of businesses then because people were, you know, looking to add the, you know, the shiny new object into a site. And his approach was, let's just make it functional. And that's really what we had to do. The bigger challenge, um, and this still exists 20 years later, not just not necessarily at Brooks Brothers, but in many businesses that I see still this channel conflict, still this issue of silos in how businesses are managing. They don't take enough businesses are not taking the customer perspective in allowing the customer to shop with you from whatever vehicle they want to. If they want to shop online, let them shop online. If they want to pick up the phone and call you, let them do that. If they want to walk in a store, great. If they want to shop on a marketplace, well, make it accessible to them in a reasonable way. Back then at Brooks Brothers, the catalog guys didn't like the store people. The store people didn't like the catalog. And we spent a lot of time very early on trying to get the different groups to understand that the best customers we had were the ones that were buying across multiple channels. And that still exists today in retail. I love that. And it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, little tidbits like that and, and little, uh, I guess, secrets, if you will, that, uh, you know, will give the listeners some nice uh, insight to that. You know, and, and speaking of that, you know, obviously we touched upon Brooks Brothers. You obviously worked at companies like Warnico and Tweeds and, and Steve Madden, which obviously, you know, people know of that brand and love that brand. You know, you and I were talking, you oversaw some big changes at Steve Madden. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that, what that was like? My role at, at Madden, um, you know, as head of the, the e-commerce business, you know, they, they also were fairly early adopters. Um, you know, in some respects, um, they were fairly advanced. Like they were, when I got there in 2011, they were already shipping from stores, uh, from many of their stores, as well as uh, centralized distribution center. That was unusual um, at that moment in time. So they, they definitely took the charge, uh, took the lead there. Um, but in other respects, you know, they were fairly, you know, far behind um, in, in their uh, marketing of the site and, and using Google and, and uh, the, the other tactics, you know, from an email perspective, email marketing and, and things like that. So, you know, they brought me in to, I, I think, provide some adult supervision. They had a very young and, and junior team, only a few people on the, the e-commerce team. Um, my job was somewhat made easier because I didn't have to worry about product. We were fed the product from uh, the designers and what we used in the retail store. We managed inventory centrally. So although I had full P&L responsibility, what I really needed to worry about was the creative and the imagery and the, the brand messaging uh, that our marketing folks were, were driving. And we needed to find ways to drive traffic. And then once we got that traffic, we needed to convert. So that's really what we spent our, our time in. Yeah, no, and it seems like, you know, uh, with Steve Madden, it's one of those things, and I don't know if you were uh, there when this this kind of happened. Mark, I know Steve Madden, you know, I used to know Steve Madden as those, like, those, the black boot, right? That kind of, uh, maybe it was kind of cool in like the grunge scene or the punk scene. I don't know if I'm getting that right, but uh, but it's been so much more of that. What was that shoe called? That was uh, that shoe was called the Troopa, T R O O P A. The and Troopa. 
Yeah, and it's a combat boot. You know, it's it's coming you know in and out of style. You know, for a very very long time, always a a top seller. Um, but that's the the thing, the the beauty of of that business. You know, if you're on the selling side, you know, you had lots of great product to choose from. Mark, you've worked with very large brands like Steve Madden. Uh, what's you know if Assuming budget is not a huge consideration, although I'm sure there is some consideration, what what were some of the tactics you were using to separate yourselves uh, from other competitors? Yeah, I think um, you know budgets, regardless of how big of a company you are, are, are always um, you know in play. Um, you know, there's always a limited amount of resources, and you know when you're when you're in a business that's got multiple channels, there's always um, you know the the uh, the, the fun banter between divisions about, you know, I need more for this, I need more for that. But, you know, it is a zero sum game after all. As, as we look at the tactics, um, you know, specifically, uh, well, maybe not so much at Madden, you know, you social uh, over the last, you know, number of years, as we all know, has become a, a an inc- of increasing importance, not only organic to get your brand name out and your messaging, but also all of the, the paid uh, performance, uh, social media. Um, and especially, you know, if you happen to be, you know, focused uh, in a brand that's a, a younger uh, consumer, like I was at Madden, uh, social uh, became an important part of the play. Um, you know, paid search and you know, paid search has obviously changed over the years that I've, you know, been around. You know, it really started, you know, as text. You know, on well, it, it, when I was, I always tell this funny story. I was at the Brooks Brothers, and the guys from Yahoo came in. You know, they were about 12 years old. They were trying to explain to me, oh, you're going to love this thing called Yahoo. Um, it's performance marketing. You're going to have be able to see impressions and conversion rates and click throughs. I was like, guys, I spent my entire career so far in catalog. I understand, um, you know, the, the key metrics of, of that. Um, but, you know, as, as Google became more, more prominent and you had text links and they started free PLAs, product listing ads and and now in many businesses, PLAs are the much more significant driver of traffic and, and revenue than, you know, simple text links. Um, you know, email marketing has come a long way in some respects. And in some respects, it's not. Still got plenty of businesses that are out there doing batch and blast, uh, sending everybody in their file essentially the same email uh, each day. Uh, I think that needs to come uh, get uh, move much more aggressively to more personalization and segmentation. Um, and, you know, if you look at retargeting, that was another tactic, uh, that's come a long way over time, you know, some questions and we can talk about incrementality and attribution, uh, all of these things have to be taken together to, to understand, you know, your spend and your return on your investment. And, and that's still the billion dollar question, uh, for retailers is, you know, how do you determine which of these channels are really driving that order that you get. Are you pretty happy with the uh, retargeting options you had as a CMO? Uh, There's a lot of talk about cookies going away. And uh, how do you see kind of simple retargeting going forward in the future in a cookie-less world? Yeah, I I think that, uh, I mean, this is is a no-brainer. It's going to make that uh, obviously a lot more challenging. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the solution is. You know, I, I think when when I started, and I don't remember exactly, you know, I started working with uh, Critio, um, you know, while I was at Madden, and you know, we were pretty aggressive in in using that, 
um, as a tool seemed to make sense. Um, you know, I was always, uh, I'm a, I'm a, um, inquisitive guy and I don't like working in environments where there's this black box and you don't really know what decisions are being made or why they're being made where you only see an output based upon a metric. Um, and, you know, we, we dug deeply into, uh, Critio and looking under the hood and how they were making their decisions. But I would say over time, um, and, and towards my end, the, the end of my stay at Madden, we had pulled back pretty significantly, almost to, to zero, mostly because we couldn't demonstrate that there was incrementality um, to whether we offered retargeting or not. And and I think that's still, you know, you have two camps, you you well, three camps. You you have the the people, the brands that just totally believe in retargeting because they think it's the right thing to do. Then you have a group of people who say, you know what, I don't really feel like it's incremental, but I'm afraid not to do it. And then you've got a smaller group who have said, you know what, I've done A-B testing, I've done the incrementality analysis. I just don't think it's worth the investment. Um, so it's it's a challenge. Um, and then now you add in this, you know, the cookie-less world, uh, it, it's going to get even more complicated. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned Critio. I, I was reading an article last week. They're expected to lose uh, half of their valuation by next year. So there's definitely uh, some some trouble for them in this world, for sure. You're not giving stock advice here, are you, Ray J? <laughs> <laughs> no, luckily there was a public, uh, publicly uh, published article. Mark, how do you go from kind of working at such a large company and running a consulting practice where you're working with smaller companies as well. What's, uh, you know, what's kind of a huge difference that you have to account for uh, when, when working with the small companies and how do they approach marketing differently? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think that there's lots of similarities, but there's, you know, lots of differences. You know, usually uh, budget is very different. Um, uh, and, and also the, the team is very different. You know, the size of the team is, is usually much smaller. Um, the challenge is that the ideas um, and the things you need to do are really not all that different. But you, you know, so I think that, you know, in a smaller business, you have to be much more um, surgical and, and much more insightful about the things that really matter. And you can't be thinking about doing things that are nice to nice to do because you think that you, you want to do them. If they don't move the needle significantly, you, you have to, you know, step away. Um, so when, when I counsel businesses, um, it's oftentimes to help them with their roadmap, right? You know, you know, they'll come to me and they'll say, geez, we have 50 things on our list. Um, we just keep adding it to it, to it and the list never shrinks. I don't think that's any different if you're a big company or a small company. But putting some brain cells to what on that list is really going to move the needle. Um, and oftentimes what happens is, the easy things stay on the list, but they may be of low value, but I can get them done so I can feel like I accomplished something. The really tough things stay on the list, but don't get done, even though they might give you the greatest bang for your effort. You know, and I'll use it as an example, um, you know, personalization on, on your site. You know, oftentimes, you know, small businesses, maybe they're on and it doesn't matter what platform they're on, but um, you know if they don't have the the thought 
the thought leadership in their team to be able to say, you know what, um, you know, I'm selling, you know, two or three product categories. I have a bunch of customers. Uh, I know what they've you know, last purchased. Uh, maybe I should use some of that information to uh, show them a different image on the homepage. Maybe I have a men's and a women's business at the same time, like I had at Madden. Um, if the customers demonstrated, you know, only engagement with men's products, if the first page they see has got women's products, it does that make the most sense? So on-site personalization is very difficult to execute for most, but I always look at that as one thing where I think you can get a big bang for your, your time. And I love that detail. And thanks for sharing that, Mark. Uh, to that point, I want to stay on that topic there, you know, as, as far as you mentioned, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the planning of the marketing roadmap for a company, but is there a kind of company you prefer to consult or, or specialize in? Well, you know, look, I've, I've spent most of my, almost all of my career in apparel and, and home fashions. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the sweet spot for me. Um, you know, I, I think so many of the tactics that, you know, we deploy in, in digital, you know, could be applied to subscription businesses and insurance and financial services and, and beauty. Um, so it, it really doesn't matter. I, I like businesses that are a bit smaller, you know, uh, you know, small to medium, um, though I, I, I take very seriously. I, I've done a bunch of mentoring uh, at some incubator um, uh, organizations, one of them called XRC Labs, uh, where you know they take an investment and help nurture some early stage businesses, and then they have a, a mentor uh, organization of which I've been part of for I guess five years now. And um, you know, doing that early stage stuff is is fun, um, mostly because they're earlier, you know, younger people in their careers, and you know. I think all dogs can learn new tricks, and I learn a lot from you know these early stage you know people, uh, their entrepreneurship, the way that they're using social media, uh, the way that they're growth hacking, and and you know really just you know starting businesses digitally and and getting word of mouth to to grow them. So, um, but you know I'm I'm equally as comfortable working with you know businesses that are multi brand, um, you know have some channel conflict, maybe have some silos within the brands. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. I, I think I'm based upon the experiences that I've had. I'm, I'm equally comfortable. And speaking of those experiences, so, you know, you, you look at multiple different experiences at different types of companies, sizes, uh, even all the way back to, you know, your, your CPA days. Well, what would you say as far as which of your work experiences played the most pivotal role? Wow. Um, it's a deep, you know, one. I, I, a deep one. Well, no. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've learned. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm a believer that whether you had a good or a bad experience, you learn something from it. I, I learned something from each of the people that I worked for, um, things that I would, you know, I took away to emulate and things that I made sure that I didn't emulate. Um, you know, I, I can go through the career, you know, at, at being at the, the CPA firm, you know, I learned how to have to, you know, go to a client. And even though I didn't maybe like the client, I still had to, you know, provide a service to them. And then moving into the startup environment at Tweeds, you know, I didn't know anything about anything that I was responsible for. So lots of on the job, you know, training. Um, during that time, we got acquired by a big uh, multi-title catalog business. I now had to learn how to be a, a small fish in a big pond. Um, during that time, I went to work at the company store catalog. Uh, that was the, probably the most 
productive time in my career. We went from 40 to $140 million in, in roughly three and a half years. We grew EBITDA as a percentage of net sales each year. That was great. So I, I won't go you know, through each stage, through each company, but with each company came new learnings uh, and new insights that you know, have built you know, what I am today, I guess. And Mark, uh, I'm sure you've gotten your share of unsolicited emails uh, working at the brands that you did. Uh, what's kind of uh, some of the ways, the emails that stand out to you when you're getting a cold outreach and what really annoys you when somebody reaches out to you? When I get an email from somebody that doesn't look like a standard HTML email, right, um, and it's got some personal touch, 99% of the time, I'm going to reply. If if it's as short and sweet as thanks, but I don't have a need at the moment, um, I will do that. All right. And I've over the course of my career, if I had a dollar for every time somebody wrote me back a kind note and said, geez, thanks, nobody ever responds if they don't need us. Um, and that makes me feel good. It, it feels like the time that I spent was worthwhile. Um, the ones that stand out have some personal note whether it was around, hey, you know, I went to Lafayette College too, or I grew up in Brooklyn, um, you know, and I saw that you did too, or, you know, we went to the same university, or I live in the same town now, or I used to work at Brooks Brothers. If there's some personal touch, it means that somebody has gone to at least the effort, perhaps of checking out my LinkedIn page and saying, yeah, that's the connection to Mark. That will usually stand out. Um, if they don't have that personal connection and it's a provider, um, let's say I'm at Steve Madden and um, they have a, a product that they're already selling or they're already uh, working with, let's say, Aldo shoes. Well, that might get my attention. Aldo is a was a competitor. Um, if you're selling something that a competitor of mine was interested in, maybe that's something I should be looking at. That's that's nice of you. I'm sure our salespeople would be uh, glad to hear the response you have. This morning, I got a LinkedIn message that said, uh, we're both on LinkedIn, so I thought we should connect. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it definitely, <laughs> definitely kind of shows that the uh, laziness some salespeople display. So Mark, one of the questions I had for you was, is there kind of certain toolkits that... Uh, you live by that you think all businesses need that our viewers could benefit from? Toolkit. Um, well, you know, I, th I think one of them, um, the first one that comes to mind when I think about toolkit is, you know, the, the work that we would do in testing, um, you know, whether it be in, in digital or I guess it could apply to stores too. Um, you know, having that, the promotional, you know, toolkit so that, um, you know, look, most businesses in some way, shape or form are uh, promotional, plenty or not. Um, but I believe, as, as most uh, direct marketers do, is that you need to test on an ongoing basis, whether it be promotion, whether it be creative, it's, it's messaging or operational services, so that, you know, when a moment in time comes that your business needs that extra boost from a revenue perspective, you don't have to go to something that hasn't been proven. You can go to something that says, you know, look, I know that if I do free shipping on my site over 50 bucks, I think I'm going to get a lift of X. But if I go to a, a lift, you know, a, a promotion of free shipping with no hurdle, 
I know what the ramifications are there. I'm going to get a higher conversion rate. I'm going to probably drive my average order down. I'm going to certainly increase my uh, operational costs. Will I net out better in the end? And if you've got that, that toolkit of, of promotional and, and testing done, um, it, it certainly uh, is very helpful. Um, my question is without giving away too much because, hey, that's what people you, you would pay you for. But what are some of uh, – you mentioned personalization. What are two or three tips out there uh, you know, for being successful in e-commerce right now? Oh, we could do a whole show you know, on that. Yeah. Well, uh, I know, but you know, that's what you know. I want people to pay you for that. But uh, I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, look, I, I, I think that, you know, kind of basic blocking and tackling is, is the way I start, you know, um, and, and sim- things that you can measure, um, you know, yourself quickly, not always easy to solve. But site speed, for example, you know, is something that I think not enough businesses are spending, you know, time in because they don't understand, you know, what's fast enough. Um, but, you know, making sure that you're benchmarking your site speed, um, you know, those businesses that, you know, have added lots of feature and function over time, maybe they have spaghetti code, um, if they haven't replatformed in a while, that can certainly, you know, impact negatively on load times. And, and I think it's pretty much proven that longer load times for, um, for a homepage or for a category or, or PDP um, are, are certainly going to impact negatively on conversion rates. So that's kind of one, you know, I, I think, you know, managing your customer file as well is, is another piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, a lot of these businesses, they, they, maybe they know what it costs, what their cost of acquisition is. Maybe they know that. Um, but once you get these customers, you need to be, you know, you need to be aggressive and have programs, you know, real, real programs to get that one-time customer to move to, to be a, a two-time customer um, because, you know, the, the people who have made that second purchase, they, we, we know that their lifetime value will be, you know, much more significant than, you know, the, the person who has only bought one time and the ability to get that third purchase from the customer, um, you know, goes up, that probability goes up so much more. Um, so having good programs around customer retention and, and rebuy rate, uh, I think is a, another important thing. And then, you know, and I, it's funny when I do these kinds of things and, and I, even on my own uh, podcast, we, we talk about the A word and, and I think we hit this a little bit earlier about attribution, you know, the, regardless of the size of your business, you've got to have some idea what to do with the next dollar of marketing spend. So if your boss walks in the door and maybe your budget is a million dollars and they now all of a sudden say, look, we've got another hundred thousand. If you don't know where you're going to go with that hundred thousand already, um, then I don't really think you have a a strong enough grip on your business. And, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to spend it. It depends on the goals. Am I willing to take a a lower ROAS return on ad spend um, because I want to test something new? Or do, am I willing to take a lower ROAS because I'm looking to prospect for new customers as opposed to programs around retention? So, you know, getting some understanding of that next best dollar to spend is really important. I like that. And thank you for those tidbits. And I think, you know, one of the things, retention, that kind of stands out, right? Uh, on another podcast, we were talking about how, even small restaurants, small mom and pop shops who 
maybe didn't build out a way to communicate with their customers or an email file, Mark, are having trouble even letting people know during a time like this, like, hey, we are open for takeout. We, uh, we, or our doors are now open again. Uh, we can start seating people. Here's our online menu. I think that has been an eye opener for people that they really need to start doing that, um, you know, during these, these times and, and now moving forward. Um, one more I have from me on the, on the kind of the business side is, is there, do you see yourself ever kind of going back or wanting to go back to, you know, these brands or being the CMO or, or of, you know, permanently at a company? Yeah, I, I do. You know, I'm, I'm not ready to retire. That's for sure. I, I'm a, high, a type A high energy guy. I don't like sitting around. Um, you know, the nice part about the, the consulting uh, is that, you know, you can, you know, have a little bit more control of your time. And in, in some respects, you know, you get the opportunity to see uh, different companies. And, you know, uh, so I, I like, you know, that. And, you know, one of the things that I, I say to clients um, all the time, and even in businesses that I have, you know, um, run, everybody thinks that what they do sucks and that everybody else has figured it out. The fact is, we all suck just a little bit. <laughs> and the sooner we realize that nobody has really got everything figured out, and we should stop worrying about the fact that we're not doing this, we're not doing that, and we devote the time to the things that we, we really think will service our customer and service our business, you know, I, I think we'll be better off. But you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to go back working in, uh, in a brand. Um, doesn't have to be CMO or, or chief digital officer. Um, you know, I'm more focused on, you know, people that I work with, the, the problems and the pain points that they're looking to solve, um, you know, and, and by virtue of the experiences that I've had in big and small and in multiple channels and having to work in environments that were matrix, um, you know, I, so I, I like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to just be productive, you know? No, I hear you. And, you're definitely not done. No way. You got uh, you have great energy. You have a lot of insight to offer. So now, what we usually like to talk about, Mark, just you know, get to know, get to know the person a little bit. Get to know you. What what are some of your interests? Uh, you know, outside of the the marketing world, what do you love doing? Uh, you know, you grew up in in Brooklyn. Now you're in, in New Jersey. What did you like growing? What, what did you like about Brooklyn? Have you been back? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with that one um, just quickly because it could be a long story. Um, we, we were talking about, um, you know, memories of, of growing up and music and how that puts you back into a moment in time. Um, I heard a song the other day. Um, actually, I'd, I'd heard it six or seven months ago, and uh, it, it was something from third grade Spanish class. And yeah, imagine if wow. I can remember that long ago, right? <laughs> anyway, long story short, um, before COVID started back in the fall, I had a lunch in Brooklyn with um, with four teachers of mine from elementary school. My third grade Spanish teacher, my fourth, fifth, and sixth grade elementary school teachers. And we had connected on Facebook um, in 2019 and, and going back there and, and, and seeing them and uh, all of them stayed educators through their entire career and to, you know, hear about the, the great work that they did uh, throughout their career uh, was just incredible. Um, 
And, um, you know, you, you ask about other interests. I've spent six and a half years on the school board in the town I live in, which is an elected position, Westfield, New Jersey. Uh, that was very rewarding in being able to give back to a, a community that, um, you know, my kids had gone through school there. Very proud of the work we did there. I was chairman of the finance committee. We also did a lot of work on, um, on technology. And I, and I will say that uh, despite all the good work we did, we never for a minute contemplated uh, a pandemic and the need to be uh, having these kids uh, work remotely for any extended period of time. Um, my family is very close to me. I have two kids uh, that are uh, twins and um, we, we, we spend a lot of time together. I'm an avid golfer and, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, focused on not, not so much my career as much as I am the industry and being able to help young people in their career. I take it very seriously when uh, people need mentoring, when people are looking for work. Um, I, I spend a lot of time helping people find jobs. Uh, people over the years have said, geez, you should just be a recruiter and call it a day. Um, I get great satisfaction when, when I can help somebody make a connection and, and find new work. That, that's great, Mark. Uh, Vincent and I have both been involved with uh, Marketing Edge for uh, the last couple of years dedicated to kind of uh, helping the next generation of marketers in college. Yes, um, I, I think Vincent had mentioned that to me. And um, although I have not um, associated with them in a while, I did a speaking engagement for them while I was at Steve Madden uh, down at FIT in, in New York City. And uh, that was great. Met, made, uh, made some nice connections with some young people. Yeah, we, we'll certainly let you know when things resume and we have a in-person event in New York again. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. And, and so, Mark, you know, you you spent quite a bit of time in the industry. Are there certain publications and websites you read on a daily or weekly basis that you'd want to share with our viewers? I do read um, a lot of um a lot of things, you know, Harvard Business Review, um, a little outside the industry, but I always find that they have some things online that are applicable to work that I do. Uh, RetailDive.com, ChainStoredAge.com. Uh, uh, there are a number of, uh, I think it's called Visual Capitalization, um, is some, it has some interesting, you know, content, um, you know, uh, but I would suggest that anybody that's interested in in staying abreast of things you can google uh, all kinds of marketing insight uh, sites and there's just a it, you can't possibly read everything um but um you know i i do try to stay up on on what's out there this is uh this has been our time this has been awesome you know i really uh we really appreciate you joining us thank you for you know answering our questions uh, on the companies that you worked at and what you're currently doing we really appreciate your time uh, audience, please check out the marketing playbook podcast that Mark hosts. You'll get, uh, a lot of great information, more of the tidbits that Mark offered, uh, you know, as far as e-commerce and marketing, but this has been awesome, Mark. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Good questions and uh, look forward to catching up with you guys again soon. Everybody be safe and uh, be healthy. Absolutely. This has been the Marketing Stir. That is Mark Friedman, President, Details Interactive, host of the Marketing Playbook podcast. I, of course, am your co-host, Vincent Petrofessa, the Vice President of B2B Products and Partnerships here. With me, as always, is my CEO, Mr. AJ Gupta. This has been another episode. Thanks and have a great day. 
Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.